0: This is Laura Dierda with the Becker's Healthcare podcast. I'm thrilled today to be do- joined by Jim Forrester, chief technology officer and associate vice president of information technology at University of Rochester Medical Center. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Hi, hey, Laura, thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about coming up. I, I, There's so many different things in terms of how IT teams are developing in cybersecurity as well that we'll talk about, but before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Yes, as you said, I'm the chief technology officer here at uh, University of Rochester Medical Center and U of R Medicine, which is our uh, uh, healthcare delivery network. And um, so U of R Medicine, we, we're a six hospital academic medical center in Western New York. We're the fifth largest private employer in New York State. And just to give you a little bit of sense of size, we're about $5 billion in annual revenue. And the health IT shop has just over 500, almost 550 employees full-time employees that support more than 30,000 employees across the system that in, health, in healthcare research and education.
0: Wow, that's amazing and such a sprawling team. I can imagine it presents a lot of unique opportunities for you to serve the community, but also lots of challenges as well. Absolutely. So when you're thinking about, I, I wanted to focus our discussion today on the IT workforce. And when you're thinking about some of the challenging positions to recruit for. What really comes top of mind? What has been challenging for you to recruit recruit for in the past few weeks and months?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the first one top of mind is information security. So information security here at U of R and U of R Medicine, URMC, is is university-wide. And uh, my colleague, uh, Mark Ballister, our Chief Information Security Officer, does have a full scope across the university. But Information security in general is one of the toughest uh, in IT today with a 0% unemployment rate. Then we get into what I would call or, or see as specialized roles. So these are things like ServiceNow administrators, certain epic roles, certain architect roles like uh, cloud architects, data architects. But I would say that something different for me for the first time in my 30-year career is that most positions are very challenging to recruit and retain in, in health IT today. And in some ways, Laura, this is actually a good wake-up call for employers and for leaders such as myself that it's really our obligation, our first obligation is to build good teams and and, and maintain those teams because really our accomplishments are are based on, on those teams.
0: Absolutely. That's a really great point. And so, you know, when you're looking at your recruitment strategy, how has that changed over the last few years? Where are you finding the talent that you are able to get in the door and really see be successful as you're building your teams?
1: Yeah. So one thing that's very different uh, than in the past is we're much more informed with market compensation data when we go to recruit a position. So historically, I would say that we look more internally and we look at internal equity and things of that nature internal to ourselves at the University of Rochester. Uh, we still do that, but but what's different is we're informed with market compensation data when we go to post positions or or make hires and offers. So, you know, companies such as Mercer's, this is their area of expertise, they provide great data. So that's that's a big change from, from the past. Another thing is um, focus on networking, right? So, and, and leveraging networking through staff who are already here and uh, through tools such as LinkedIn, and really trying to align and share our values and what it is we do, who we are, and bring people in who understand those values. Um, another, another thing, a third thing that's different is an in increased use of talent agencies. Now we've used talent agencies for a long time, but I would say that well, as this market's been very difficult the last few years, we see, have seen a, a significant uptick there. So really establishing good partnerships with those talent agencies, understanding who the good partners are out there and uh, tapping into the established networks and vetting process that they provide. And then finally, the fourth thing I would say about how recruitment has changed is something again that we've been doing for several years, um, but maybe even as far back as I can remember, but a real increased focus is building pipelines of talent. So pipelines of talent might be non-traditional sources of IT professionals, uh, such as nurses and uh, respiratory therapists and, and and other healthcare workers that have an IT interest and bringing them into our shops. So they, th- th- these are great sources of talent. They're folks that understand healthcare, they understand um, how to interact with customers, and we teach them the IT um, internships is another uh, great talent pipeline. So really tapping into internships, working with colleges. And so again, similar to use of talent agencies, we've been doing it really forever, but it's a much greater focus than it has been in the past.
0: That makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's really interesting to see that multi-pronged approach of using talent agencies, networks of the people you already have, as well as looking internally to really figure out who might be... uh, have the aptitude, I suppose, to jump onto the technology team and really be valuable there. So once you have people in place, what has worked well to retain them? How do you really keep them um, happy and challenged and really fulfilled within their roles at um, University of Rochester?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something we've spent a lot of time, my colleague, Lisa Nelson, the co-CIO here at the Medical Center, Um, my colleague Julie Myers, the uh, CIO at the university, we've spent a lot of time thinking about this and working on this with our leadership team over the last few years. And what I would call it is the four factors. So I would say the four factors of retention and recruitment are compensation, quality of managers, flexibility, and drive. And so just to take a minute to explain those, statistically, if we look back at Compensation has always been and continues to be the number one factor that employees give at for both retention and attrition. So, recruitment, retention, compensation is important. We, we just need to come to grips with that. And there's plenty that we can do and are doing in that space. And so, you know, we, we have to address compensation, but I would also say that we do have limited control over compensation. So, there was uh, one speaker. At the at the Becker's presentation session a few weeks ago, that gave a presentation and um, you know he pointed out that he feels like he's a training shop for the finance industry. So even within healthcare, there's always going to be somebody who can pay more, and another there's going to be other market se- sectors or industry segments that that pay more. So compensation is very important, but I would say the should be an equal or bigger focus on those other three factors, quality of managers, flexibility, and drive, because those are completely in our control. And so when we look at quality of managers, this is something we focused on a lot here at URMC. Uh, You know, when you think about it, that's who our employees are interacting with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, That's how we obtain delegation, right? So if our managers are high-quality managers, they're empowering their teams, they're developing their employees, they're providing career planning, for their employees and and succession planning, and um, one thing that we've done here and and started to roll out over the last two years, we've developed what we call our intentional leadership model. So there's four pillars to this model, and it's what how we intent expect our leaders, our managers, to act, and to um, you know to really make that meaningful. We've tied it into our performance evaluations, so we've pulled some of the factors from that in. So the quality of managers is really key um, that, again, that's who our employees are acting with on a day-to-day basis. Flexibility, you know, flexibility like we haven't thought about it in the past. So obvious, one obvious one I think we're seeing in IT in general is where people work. In, in our particular department, we're 50% fully remote. So of those 540 employees I mentioned earlier, I was, just took a look at this with a colleague a few weeks ago, we're 50% fully remote. Um, we employ in eight, eight different states now you know, prior to March of 2020, we employed in one state, New York. So our human resource department here at the university uh, has been really good in helping us through that and working through the challenges of employing in different states. Um, But flexibility, so in where people work. And then, you know, another good one, what people work on. So some people may be very interested in just doing the kind of standard service catalog, keep the business running kind of work, and they want to kind of even keel. Um, and then there's other employees that uh, really thrive on projects and new things. And so working with our employees to understand what they're interested in and what they really want to work on. And again, that goes back to that uh, developing employees, you know, with the quality of managers. But flexibility is a the third factor and, and also important. And again, something completely in our control. And then when I say drive, I mean drive as in Daniel Pink Drive. So the book Drive, which uh, came out several years ago now, and talks about intrinsic motivation, tying our work, what our people do day to day, tying that to our mission. And you know, that's something that we're in an enviable position in healthcare and healthcare IT. So you know, clinical care, medical research, medical education, those are all great missions, and people want to be part of something bigger. So helping them uh, understand and really tying our, making our work visible our uh, value visible, and tying our work back to that mission, um, it makes it really meaningful for our employees. It makes them uh, aware that they are indeed contributing to something bigger.
0: Got it. That, that's amazing. I really appreciate you talking through all four factors because, you know, so much of that seems really elementary, but at the end of the day, it does make a difference and and not every employer or health system is good at meeting those needs of their teams, and their employees. And I wanted to dig deeper just into a couple of the different areas. And first, you know, talking about the salary aspect of it, I know you mentioned initially that other industries can always pay more. Obviously healthcare dollars are extremely precious, but when you look at those numbers and see how the salaries are trending for it talent in, in, what that looks like nationwide, how do you stay competitive, especially as you're now employing in multiple different states and, and really um, trying to make sure that, you know, you're getting the right people in place and then keeping them there?
1: Sure. So the university here, uh, University of Rochester has a program called Career Path Modernization, where we're looking at that holistically across the entire university. And um, in IT, uh, we're really focused. And, and what, what it is is, looking at all of our jobs and the current job codes, the current job descriptions and modernizing those to match current uh, human resource uh, market data and and not just in compensation, but even in the job description, the the requirements of the jobs, et cetera. And so, you know, it's interesting looking at um, old job descriptions. Sometimes they require experience and education that might not be relevant in IT. And so just updating that and then aligning those with market data so that we can stay competitive over time. And then prioritizing teams uh, for evaluation against that market data. And the, the kinds of risks that you look at there is how far from market value our team. So deviation from market value, disruption to business. So if, if we had turnover or disruption in a given team, how disrupted is that to the business? And, and likelihood of disruption within a team. So those those are all risk factors that when we look at as we update and modernize our our career uh, path and our job descriptions, those are factors that go into keeping those modernized over time as well, because, you know, it's not a one and done kind of exercise. The New jobs come out all the time, new responsibilities. And um, in some cases, it means taking a look at, you know, can we Pay more with less, you know? So if, you know, we we have some positions that have been open for quite a long time. Well, we've been doing the work without those positions being filled. And um, so the question, you know, might be if, if that particular team is quite a ways away from, or is away, you know, from market value, are we better off taking that position in the salary that's budgeted for it and distributing it across that team? So I think those kinds of things are are going to be more important than ever uh, as we try to keep compensation current moving forward.
0: That's really a helpful way to think about it. And I I love that kind of focus on just understanding exactly what you're looking for and how you can really prioritize where that money is going to and what the budget is going for. So that's so helpful. Uh, and then too, I really appreciated you talking about the quality of managers as being a, a retention tool, because I think no matter what industry you're in, that is certainly true. Being able to have people who you know are, are great to work with and managers who are really coaching and supporting and thinking about career planning, it makes a big difference. So when you look at that aspect of it, how have you seen the best managers really succeed? Um, what kind of culture change went on, you know, over the past few years to really get them to a place where that is a top of mind focus and and the managers are really understanding this is important um, for the teams to grow and develop in a way that's different than they did pre-pandemic.
1: Yeah, so I think what's really important is is focusing on your managers, empowering your managers. You know, it's interesting when you think about how much do we invest in a new employee, right? We 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 onboard them, we send them for training. We might mentor them, put them in a formal mentorship program. You know, we, we invest a lot. But then uh, how people move up, especially in technology, we see this in engineering as well, they're really strong individual contributors. And so they move up into management ranks by being strong individual contributors. Well, there's not necessarily a correlation between somebody being a really strong individual contributor and being set up to be a successful manager. And even if they are, they st- still need the tools. They need that investment. And so starting really to invest in those managers and putting together a program, this is where the program I mentioned earlier, um, intentional leadership, and thinking about intentional conversations and supporting that with training through crucial conversations, thinking about intentional delegation. What does it mean to delegate? How can we delegate safely? And, you know, bringing in a training program like intent-based leadership, Um, intentional inclusion. So, you know, your best quality decisions going to happen when you get deliberately get diverse perspectives at the table and deliberately include those voices at the table. And again, supporting that with training, people don't necessarily intuitively know how to be good managers. And I've always found it interesting that we invest a lot in new staff as they come on and and that investment is not necessarily proportional as folks move up the ranks and um, become managers and leaders. So we've really focused there. And then Trying to um, create a really uh, intentional culture where we set expectations for our leaders and our managers, and including our values, you know, our our core values of being visible, transparent, and empathetic. And just making that very clear to our managers. Some managers might not agree with those values, and then they really have to reflect on whether they belong in this particular organization or not. But uh, so trying to recruit people that understand our core values and align to our core values, but I think it really comes with investing in those managers, Laura.
0: That's an excellent point and and really something that is so important when you're thinking about the future. And speaking of the future, what do you really see as being uh, some of the big changes that the IT and cybersecurity teams will go through over the next few years? How do you plan on growth and development in those areas?
1: Well, I think one thing that we'll see, we're already seeing is is co-sourcing. So augmenting teams uh, through managed services. So You know, certain teams have a baseline amount of work, but then they might need to burst at certain times and it's really not affordable or even if it were affordable, we can't even recruit for that, those bursting, but we can co-source that with partners and and a great, uh, you know, example of that might be your security operations center. So if you need a baseline of five FTEs, but then when something's happening and the SOC really needs to kick into gear and respond, you might need 15, 20 FTEs. Well, first of all, we couldn't recruit 15 or 20 FTs to sit on the bench. And second, we couldn't afford to have those people sitting on the bench. So really looking at how we can use um, managed services to shore up our teams and augment our teams, take some of the pressure off our teams, you know, even even in the call space, you know, taking call. Healthcare is a 24-7, 365 business, and and therefore, so is healthcare IT. Um, Really also breaking down some silos, especially in larger shops like ours, uh, we've gotten very specialized and, and sub-specialized and thinking about broader skill sets. Again, investing in our employees, developing broader skill sets. Um, and then there's ways, you know, thinking about retention and recruitment. Uh, we've we've got an exit interview program here. Uh, we're starting, we've launched a net promoter score program to really survey our staff uh, throughout the year to find out if they would recommend this as a place to work uh, to their frontiers, you know. And w- uh, something I'm excited about is this concept of stay interviews. So one of my colleagues here, uh, Erica Dobson, recommended that we take a look at stay interviews. You know, what does it mean to recruit and, and and retain? So actually going out and having interviews rather than surveys. The Net Promoter Score is a survey instrument, whereas the the stay interviews are more you know they're they're an interview, so they're interactive and trying to understand what people appreciate and where the gaps are and in retaining that. So um, I think those efforts to really double down and understand our employees and where they're at, meet them where they're at, I think we'll see a lot going on there as well. So as well as the co-sourcing and, and kind of VersaList approach.
0: That's a really interesting concept to think about those stay interviews. I can imagine you get a lot of great ideas and information flowing during some of those conversations.
1: Well, I'll be honest with you, they're new to me. Um, I, we've not used them yet. And uh, when my colleague came back with the idea I I had to do a little homework to understand what they were and how they were being used, but it's something I'm definitely looking forward to. I think similar, um, we're launching in our leadership program, the the 360 uh, review process, not at all tied to uh, performance, but just helping our leadership team, our managers being aware and self-aware of maybe they're not uh, functioning those, the way that they think they are. Maybe they're doing really well over here and that's a great strength to build on. So kind of similar to that. And that's another thing that we're doing to develop our managers. But uh, so I'm looking forward to it too, Laura. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we get those great insights from the stay interviews.
0: Absolutely. We'll have to check back in another year or so and see how they go. Absolutely. All right. Well, I just have one more question for you before we wrap up our conversation today. What is your approach to uh, work post pandemic I know you've talked about now you're got have team members in multiple states and so when you're thinking about that hybrid. Work from the office work from home, how is that really working out and, and what do you foresee for the future.
1: Yeah, so I would answer that in a couple of ways, first of all uh, flexible in all caps, I think we have to remain flexible at the same time, realize that there is value in face-to-face interactions. You and I were just talking a little bit here ago about how great it was to be in person at Chicago. Um, Lisa and I were at a meeting last week, my colleagues here uh, out in San Francisco with the Academy. It was a great meeting. That That interaction face-to-face can add a lot. And so I think there may be a time and a need for that from time to time. So trying to figure out how to make that work. You know, in a hybrid environment where maybe we do bring people on a few times a year um, but in a way that again maintaining that flexibility for our employees so um, the second thing is engagement you know um, when we first shifted our industry to predominantly remote I was hearing a lot of questions about how we're measuring performance and productivity and honestly Laura the question really annoyed me because I thought that is the wrong question if you're thinking now about performance and productivity it tells me that You were not thinking about it when the employees were on site. Um, To me, the real question is wellness. How do you measure wellness uh, with a remote workforce? That's a little bit more of a challenge. It's easier when people are in person, in my opinion, to gauge whether somebody's down and uh, detached or, or not quite feeling like they're part of the team. And so I think that's gotta be a real area for us and taking a look at other industries that have been doing this for a while is uh, how do we assess engagement? How do we keep our employees engaged and, and part of the team? So for me, uh, the post-pandemic, it's it's maintaining that flexibility and obtaining engagement with our, with our full employee team.
0: That's fantastic, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion. I learned a lot and really you have some thought-provoking ideas that sound like it's going to be a really exciting to jump into in the future. Thanks again for being here and I look forward to connecting again soon.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Laura. Take care.